Hello, and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast. I'm Nicole Lakin. And I'm Tim Warden. And today we have a friend of the Equine High Performance Sports Group. Uh, Chris has been a contributor to pretty much every initiative that we've uh, undertaken as a group. So uh, you've probably heard a little bit about him before. It's a really great episode we have for you today. And uh, I think we'll just jump right into introducing him and we'll go from there. So Dr. Chris Navas is a clinician at Penn's, Penn Vets New Bolton Center. He received his veterinary degree from the UCHCEU University in Valencia, Spain. He did his PhD in Barcelona and his master's of veterinary clinical medicine at the University of Illinois. He completed a residency in equine internal medicine at the University of Illinois and a fellowship in cardiology and ultrasound at the University of Pennsylvania. And he is also a diplomat of the American College of Veterinary Internal Medicine. Uh, and he's been that since 2009. So. Uh, a huge amount of schooling for for our friend Chris. Uh, before starting formal internal medicine training, he worked in equine ambulatory practice, and he joined Texas A and M uh, from 2015 to 2019 before revert, returning to Pennsylvania in 2019. His clinical activity and research focuses on equine cardiology and ultrasound, and his ongoing projects cover preventing injury and exercise associated death in equine athletes, as well as promoting uh, veterinary health and education through telehealth. Hi, Chris, and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. And you? Good, pretty good, pretty good. Perfect. So a lot to cover today, so we'll just hop right in. I know uh, we're all really excited to, to hear your thoughts on some important topics here. So uh, the first one Exercise testing and benchmarking are standard practice in human sports, but few trainers are doing this with their equine athletes. Can you speak to why exercise testing should be highlighted in, sp in sport horse training programs throughout the year? Yeah, that, that's, <clears throat> that's definitely a, a loaded question, but I think several reasons that, that uh, come to mind. It allows you to, to assess many things and it also allows you to assess many things more accurately than you would usually assess. I was listening to an unrelated podcast the other day talking about data in sports and they sort of equated the 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 use of 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 data in sports to becoming more accurate making decisions. And the, one of the comparisons was like well you can do surgery like an old fashioned, for example, in a in a joint, just opening the joint to get a chip out, or you can uh, do arthroscopic surgery and be more start more targeted and more more precise and less invasive. So it, it, to me, it's a little bit the same. So um, some examples would be to assess where you are with the horse, like uh, some of the variables that you would measure, for example heart rate during exercise or heart rate during the recovery or heart rate during warm-up are associated with, with how fit the horse is, with uh, uh, potentially even with, uh, could be early markers that a problem, it's arising early markers of disease. Other variables that the current uh, fitness trackers will give you like a strike characteristics or symmetry of the gait or information about jumps could could work similarly I, I i just because my main interest is cardiovascular disease you'll I'll, I'll i'm always going to talk more about the the heart rate part but but there are many other other things that people look at um 
the the other reason is that it allows you to do easier things that we should already be doing, right? Important things like diaries of, of training. Well, now the diary, it's more automatic. It's more complete. It's digital. It's easy to access by many people in different places at the same time. So maybe that's another reason just convenient. It's more convenient. Um, it allows you to check that you are doing what you think you are doing. Like let's say, for example, you train you train a horse and you go to do um, uh, aerobic base, uh, slow pace, easy pace type training. Well, then you can go look at the data and see. Well, really, I was doing what I intended to do, and it's not like I thought I was um, doing a workout that was going to be very easy for the horse. And then you look at the data, and it 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 happens that the heart rate is very very high. The horse didn't recover well, and you didn't achieve what uh what uh what you wanted and also along the same lines allows you to check that what you are aiming for is what you are getting so if you oh, same example for example if you have been uh, working on a horse for a few weeks or a couple of months to get more of an aerobic base more endurance more stamina um you would expect that the heart rates are moderate intensities are going to be lower the recoveries are going to be faster so just as just check that uh that the progression is what what you wanted to yeah i think those are all really good points and just as you're talking there uh i was also listening to an unrelated podcast a, a while ago and it was uh a distance runner a u.s distance runner was talking about her training and like where she sees like, the real value for uh data coming in and, and she was saying that like sometimes as an athlete, you get so stuck into a focus and like maybe you go and you have a race and it's not the outcome you want, right? But she was saying that like in a way data is actually very comforting and reinforcing for her. Because if you look at the the daily data and you see that, that there is actually progress there and there's development, then it can almost be reassuring. So even if you have one bad day, if you have the data and you look across your entire week, you realize, okay, that, that was one bad day out of seven. And so like it, I think a lot of times it actually helps like psychologically a little bit as well with the app. Yeah. I mean, I think the psychologic part, it's, it's, a uh, it's, uh, it's very big. And, uh, on, on the, like in the complete opposite, like if there is no buy-in on the other end, on the, on the user, then you can forget about it. Like if, if the, the rider, the trainer doesn't see the value then the value may be there but if they don't see it, then why do it right why, why waste time just put your time on some other resource yeah yeah I, I, to that point i'm just i'm trying to think you know for someone like myself if we if i wanted to go about performing an exercise test what tools do you find most insightful and how would you suggest the test be designed so that i can get you know useful valuable um data points that I can then sort of use throughout the year to assess my horse's fitness. Yeah. So it 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 depends probably on 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 what your goal is. It it it, it the exercise test may be a little bit different on the healthy horse that you are assessing mm -hmm. for fitness or in the horse that has some medical problem that it's uh chronic but low intensity and you just want to see how the horse uh, progresses or if you are doing it um for injury prevention or or for monitoring of a of um of a disease so depending on on which disease or if it's just for 
<clears throat> for um, assessing fitness, I, I would use different tools. For assessing fitness, probably the current uh, fitness trackers that uh, measure heart rate, speed. So you can see the, the relationship between heart rate and speed and the heart rate at different intensities of exercise and the heart rate during recovery. Maybe that would be an easy, high yield place, place to start, I think. Then the, maybe the next would be to start looking into a stride characteristics like symmetry of the gait or a stride rate. Um, and different intensities can give you some information. And for the ones that are, um, jumpers, it seems to be more and more information about the, the, use of the motion sensors during jump and acceleration and symmetry or which lead the horse uh, prefers uh, definitely the the motion sensor part not my expertise but like you read more and more um about those and i think in in the future perhaps that will be another another useful component and then if you want to add one step that Perhaps it's a little bit more complicated because it requires a blood draw. Um, so someone that knows how to get a blood sample, I think um, lactate meters and the use of, of lactate adds a little bit more to, to the picture. And, and then for the horses that have disease, it depends on the disease. But if you have a horse with upper airway, well, I think dynamic endoscopy so these endoscopes that you can use during exercise or horses that are prone to lower airway disease respiratory disease or low-grade asthma heaves uh checking uh bal fluid bronchoalveolar lavage is the type of cells that they have in their lungs or the ones that are prone to ulcers doing gastroscopy so there is always a uh, or the ones to heart disease uh, check their ecgs um there is the depending on the problem of the horse, maybe you can be a little bit more targeted. Interesting. Interesting. And like, I think one of the questions is always how frequently should people be doing these tests? Like, of course, if there's like a suspicion of a, a clinical issue, then like that's very targeted with how you do that. But if you have uh, like a healthy young horse and you're just wanting to monitor, like, are we, um, you know, me- meeting these milestones, like is the horse actually getting fitter and is it responding to training uh, the way we do? Like, what do you recommend with the riders that you're working with? Yeah, yeah. So when we we have been using the trackers for a couple of years now with the with the riders and the riders that we use it most with was are are the the three day eventers. So just tell you the experience with those riders. Initially, we started saying use it every time that you ride the horse so how how often do you look at data every time that you ride that wouldn't be a full exercise test but there are little pieces of information that you get from the warm-up versus another little piece uh even even before they start exercising sort of their recovery from the previous day but uh i think that would be great but it becomes too cumbersome for for most riders and so for example, for the eventers, it seems like a good compromise. It's every time there is high intensity exercise that for these riders are the gallops. So when the season starts, depending on the horse, they may be on 
one gallop every five days schedule or some horses that gallop less often and some horses a little bit more often but let's say one in five just as an average as an average uh, number uh, so those the eventers the high level eventers seem to see that useful uh, um monitor the 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 high intensity exercise and and then if you want to do a more comprehensive one that includes the other pieces that we talk about or or in, include the lactate curves or metabolic profiling if if you will uh those ones i probably would do less often it may be that in less than six to eight weeks you probably are not going to see a difference and most of the times even in the horses that are monitor more closely it's rare to do it more than three or four times a year okay interesting and just to follow up on that like i'm so i I'm like i've had the opportunity to talk with um like a few companies doing some monitoring with professional human athletes and they always like sort of said like two months was a little bit their benchmark it, it sort of takes two months worth of data to like get enough on an athlete where you can be pretty confident this is how they're responding to workouts and then you can start to like start pick off some of those deviations from there and know if they're like having a bad day or a good day or, day or whatever like is it a little bit the same in horses where you're sort of looking for like a set number of uh like high intensity workouts before you're like okay like i have a good sense of what this horse how yeah. it responds or that's a very good question and, and i guess the short answer is that i don't know and i don't know that the the hardcore answer for that exists like i don't know that uh the the sport science in the horse and the monitoring of progression of training in real life has been done to answer that question but probably the answer uh, like for most difficult questions is it depends so it depends on which variable you are looking at because there are going to be adaptations that happen very rapidly and there are adaptations that are going to happen very slowly like you just because you mentioned high intensity exercise, you you would think that if they, we go along the lines of mammals are mammals and that the physiology of the horse is gonna respond a little bit like the physiology of the human athlete, you would think adaptations to high intensity exercise are gonna occur faster than adaptations to low intensity exercise. Uh, so I don't know if you if you are designing a protocol for to increase the the performance at the high intensity it may be that in a couple of weeks you probably can can see differences and if what you call is for more <clears throat> slow steady aerobic base probably need many weeks or months and and even the difference it's going to be seen even more in the scale of years and sustained for a long period of time once you achieve a nice a nice aerobic day. That's really interesting. I'm I'm just sitting here ruminating a bit and um I I'm thinking a little bit about sort of the the time and the dedication and the the thought that it takes to really do this well. Um, and obviously with sport horse podcasts, we're talking to sport horse people and there are people at the high levels that sort of a no brainer, they should be collecting this data and trying to, um, use it to, you know, refine and improve their, their programs for each individual horse. 
Um, but then I think about sort of the people that are just below that, that also want what's best for their horse and also want to, you know, have as much knowledge and, and, um, you know, insight as, as, as they can. And so I'm just thinking, you know, like I'm, I'm a little bit of a Peloton addict. So I, I love my little spin bike in the garage and um, they have these power zone training, for example, where they help you sort of loosely determine where, where your threshold heart rate is. You, sometimes without even a heart rate monitor, you do these like 20 minute tests and based on different descriptions of what they want you to be feeling, they try and, and assign you different zones and then encourage you to train in those different zones for different periods of time. Um, you know, they, they recommend a lot more of the sort of lower intensity, higher endurance um, stuff to improve fitness. And de- again, depending on what you're trying to achieve, there's different recommendations. And so that's something, for example, that makes somebody like me who knows nothing about cycling or um, human fitness, <laughs> to be completely honest, um, it makes it a little more accessible to me. So I'm just trying to think of if you have any any thoughts or um, recommendations, or even from your experiences from working with some of these high level, you know, eventing and endurance riders that um, you think would be helpful for people who do want to start collecting some of this fitness data and applying it to their training programs. Yeah, I, I think for for the low or even low to me the level rider, it may be that it has a a different goal because maybe they perf- to start with the performance, it's not your your main objective, right? The performance it's to, or, or the goal is to have fun with the horse. And obviously, you know, most human beings are competitive. So every time that you compete, you want to do it as best as you can, but it's, it's not the goal itself. But beyond uh, getting a better performance, I, I think it helps with a couple of other things. So it helps understanding better what you are doing like the example with the with the peloton right like probably when you are on the bike it's not that you are going to win the next local bike race but you are probably thinking well i want to get fitter and if i understand what uh stimulus i'm putting in my body and i can understand which adaptation i should be getting to that stimulus next time that I exercise, perhaps I will titrate, I'll modify a little bit what I do. So then what I get, it's closer to what I want. So maybe it's just in in that in that situation, it, it just adds to the whole understanding of the process, even if quantitatively, well, you didn't really gain much performance performance uh objective performance wise or or, com- or competition wise um the other thing that that all this information can help i think it's engage the team so if you are working with a with a trainer with a coach with a veterinarian with a nutritionist that gives you the the food i think it gives uh a quote unquote, a place to meet or a language that everybody can speak. And when you took, 
when you talk to the veterinarian, you tell them, well, this is the type of intensity that I do. These are the heart rates that I do. When you talk to the nutritionist, you can tell them these are the number of calories that I that I burned. So it 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 sort of builds the team around the the information or around the course. Let's put it that way. Yeah, those are both really really great um, examples. Uh, so coming back a little bit to the work that you've done, um, with these high level riders over the years, what are some insights from the testing that you've done that led to change in management practice for those horses? Things that they have changed Mm -hmm. or, or, or that you've maybe thought they should change as a result. Um, yeah, I think when, when, Talking about the individual level, um, it's very variable from rider to rider, and it depends a little bit on where they are starting and what was their what was their interest. So, some examples of um, of um, um, behaviors or ways ways to use the information of the exercise. So, there are some riders that. Will look at the information on their phone right as, as they are finishing. So they even as even before they get off the horse, as, as they are cooling down, they pull the phone to look at the data that the, what they were just did, and that's their moment to think, okay, this is what happened today. This is how the horse responded. I I think this is better or worse or exactly what I what I am. Um, anticipated and as they go to the barn in their little board that has the the exercise schedule for that horse for the next week they just go there and implement changes based on what they saw or they don't implement any changes because that's exactly what uh what uh what they wanted other examples would be the horses that are prone to lameness um some of the data that you get in an exercise test it's related to the musculoskeletal system like symmetry of the of the gait or 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 a stride rate at the trot maybe those two examples are the ones that i think are easier to understand so they in those horses the riders look at the look at those numbers and it's not that they necessarily are diagnosing the lameness based on that but it just seems like okay things are changing are changing in the right direction or the wrong direction if they are changing in the wrong direction not necessarily a reason to to stamp this horse's lane but it's a good reason to call your vet and say hey i was looking at it would you mind would you mind uh uh come and 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 look at the look at the horse with me um yeah the ones that have heart disease for example they are they are horses that have uh, the heart disease that in the past it would take a lot of effort to get ECGs comprehensively look at their at their at their rhythm during during exercise and and now there are horses that in the last um couple of years we've got more than 100 electrocardiograms that before would have a would have taken like a um, an army of, of veterinarians or technicians to to gather and then that gives these riders peace of mind of well my horse has a problem, but we are watching this problem as close as we can, and and uh, everything seems to to be going well. So it it, it just depends uh, um, a little bit on the on the rider, but those would be a few examples, I think. 
Those are great. And I, I, one of the things that you said that really uh, stuck with me or hit me was um, I think I hear a lot of the pushback uh, when you talk about um, recording data and doing some of this quantitative analysis when it comes to the horses is, oh, well, that's what feeling is for. You're supposed to have feeling and it's, you know, good horsemanship, but really at the end of the day, it's, it's helping you to translate that feeling into really meaningful values that, that can both, um, further illustrate your feeling and communicate it to somebody else, including your veterinarian, um, and also give you more insight into, into what it is, you know, you're feeling, you might say the horse feels much better, but, um, knowing that his, you know, stride length actually has changed for the better. I think that's, you know, that's two completely different things. Yeah. And I mean, and it doesn't try to substitute the, the, the feeling, it doesn't try to substitute to go in the barn, look at the horse, see if the horse meets you in the front of the stall or in the back of the stall, see if their ears are up or their ears are down, touch the legs and see if their legs are, you have the normal feeling or less feeling or, 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 or not. It doesn't substitute any of that. It just adds on it. And also even for the best of the, many of the best horsemen, it actually makes them even better. Like sometimes the ones that that learn the most of that data are the ones that they already have a background to interpret it and to add to it. Like they, they and I mean, and, and we learn from those from from those writers as well doing the projects. Like sometimes it's the writer, the one that says, "Okay, well, this data point." Uh, what do you think about it? And then we tell them, "Well, this is what I think about it," and they say, "Oh." This is what I think about it. And they look at it from a different perspective. And just because they have that, that special feel about the horse, they are able to interpret the, the data in a context that may be non-traditional, but it may be useful and additive to what they were already thinking. I think that's a really good point and a cool point. Like, I know you have the opportunity to work with some really good riders. And like, I've had the opportunity to chat with some some very, very good riders over the years. And it's, I think that it does tend to be one of those like common denominators with riders who have sustained success over years and years and years. Like they do tend to be the ones who have the ability to whatever information you give them to really critically look at it and assess it and to put it into context, as you say, Chris, like, I think, that does tend to be something where if you're looking at the best in the world and it probably across any sport, like they are the people who do enjoy the truly learning and digging deep into a topic and uh, sort of along those same lines. And you chatted about it a little bit before, but I think the data is really helpful for creating that common narrative across different people. Right. And I think sometimes we run into issues in equestrian sports because oftentimes we're not really talking about the same type of workout. Like if Ian Miller talks about like doing a jump school, it's probably like his perception of like, you know, a certain gymnastic that was medium hard on his horse is probably very different than how some other rider who's maybe an amateur rider or less experienced rider would label that exact same workout. Um, And like when I was working with some of the Canadian team riders and show jumping riders and recording, uh, not as quantitatively as you, but just even having them record their perceived uh, intensity of work and how long they were working the horses for on every day. 
it was interesting to do that and then to collect all that information over months and months and then to go and show it to them one day and to show them like there are two true trends for a horse over from May to August, let's say. Because I think a lot of times if you don't have a number attached to something and you don't have it displayed in a way where you can go back and truly reflect on what you're doing, I think it's sometimes easy to miss that, right? Versus if you do have the data that you can truly understand, you know, maybe my goal in the month of May was to put a lot of fitness on these horses. So we did a lot more of like tempo type work and some longer distance work. And then you can actually assess that. And did it actually work? If you do a fitness test in June, like did they actually adjust stuff or not? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes the, the, the goal of the exercise test, it's actually not necessarily to improve uh, what you are going to do with the horse, but to see how the horse is when it's at its best, right? Like now at the end of the, the season or most horses around here already finished, but in the last month, some of the exercise tests were not necessarily, hey, we're going to see where we are to get an improvement for the competition, but just we are going to see where we are because this horse had a super successful season. And then this is going to be what sort of what our benchmark, right? This is what we're yeah. going to use to when we do exercise tests to say, this is really the rider tells you the horse feels the fittest it's ever been in, in its life. So sometimes like, okay, maybe a good time to put that note and see the results and say the horse at this time was feeling awesome. And these were the, these were the, the numbers or the other way around like the horse this year didn't perform super well at the end and let's see where 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 we are because it's true that some people get a little bit frustrated because there is so much overlap and in inter individual variation that perhaps the the nice results for one horse are not the nice results for an for another horse and uh following longitudinally the same course over and over and and correlating that with performance gives you much more information than the one-off test. Yeah. And uh, changing gears slightly, but along those same lines, you had the opportunity to uh, organize a, a workshop in California this spring with uh, eventing riders and horses. And it was uh, a really cool workshop because you did a lot of testing with the horses. And then at the same time, we had uh, a Peter Park there who put the riders through some fitness testing. So you you had a situation where the riders and the horses were essentially going through a bit the same process. Uh, can you can you speak a little bit about that and some of the like the main take homes or, or learnings that you thought uh, came out of that workshop? Yeah one one of one of them was exactly that right like for for the riders and the horses to do analogous type of tests. Uh, for many of the riders, um, was sort of this aha type moment, right? Like the, the, it, maybe they had done exercise tests on their horses before, or some of them had not, but many of them had never done an exercise test on themselves. So just do it on the horse, doing it on themselves, explain the principles and almost how they feel it in their own body and then translating it to the horse was pretty interesting to see how in many of those riders something just clicked in their in their in their brain that that understanding and you mentioned peter park that was there so that was another highlight right it's it's so great to be able to translate the training principles 
from someone that came with uh, uh, that much experience coaching many different types of athletes and almost just um, hear how his brain would start to work when you would explain him, well, these are demands for these horses. If you, if, if you were working with a person that had these demands, what would you do? <laughs> and then how he would explain the riders what he would what he would do, and uh, that was also uh, that was pretty interesting. Or explain the riders how he thought the the performance of the horses could improve just by improving the fitness of the rider. And he he would he does a lot of work with um, with. Um, dirt bike riders and other cyclists so like almost he would uh, just uh, um, try to use principles of those type of athletes today to the horse rider and then the other thing that we already discussed was the the the, the team approach you know like the the horse was there the rider was there the primary care veterinarian sometimes a second veterinarian that would take care of the musculoskeletal part of the horse or if there was a horse that was part of a team the 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 team veterinarian was there and and peter was there as a as a coach and we were there more more trying to translate the exercise physiology uh for the for the horse so just seeing how all the pieces of the performance puzzle fit together or how it's so multifactorial, right? And I mean, and those are just a handful of the pieces, but there are probably hundreds of others, right? And you could add there. So just seeing how how the puzzle fits to together was, was pretty interesting. Yeah. That's awesome. I definitely hope uh, that we'll be able to get some more workshops together in the new year something definitely to look forward to. And hopefully, um, Chris, you'll be a part of some of those because it was so awesome having you at the first one. We just have to come up with as good a location as the first one, right? And the first one, the first one couldn't have been better. Like one of the, the, the writers says, yeah, better uh, let us use your farm, which is one of the most beautiful farms that you can uh, Imagine in California, you could see the Pacific Ocean when the when the horses were galloping up a hill. So it couldn't have been prettier. And Peter's Peter's um, gym, it's it's nearby there in Santa Barbara. So the location was perfect. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I am so grateful that you've joined us today. I know that I've learned a lot, um, and we could probably ask you a million more questions, but um, we're just going to ask one more that we ask all of our guests. Um, and that is, if you could talk directly to a horse and they could understand you, what would you want to tell them? What I would uh, try to tell them, it's uh, try to make them understand how much uh, how much fun we have we have with them, how much uh, uh, enjoyment we have just working with them and 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 riding them and that that we like uh, uh, competing because that's how the human brain works but also we tell them uh, that 
that's actually not the main goal. If, if one day they are not feeling well or right or or that just let us know and that day we take it easy and there will always be another day. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Chris. Really, really appreciate it. There were uh, definitely a few times during that podcast where I had to uh, restrain myself because <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you a million more questions, but uh, <laughs> maybe on another episode. But uh, again, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Really, really interesting. And uh, I'm sure we'll have you back on again in the future. Yeah, no, thank you, guys. It's always fun talking to you. Yes, we'll do it again. Uh, I had a lot of fun recording that episode. I, I feel like every time I, I chat to Chris, I, uh, I get super excited and uh, <laughs> I'm always making notes, stuff I want to ask him later and just stuff I want to talk about. Um, for sure, a lot of really great content there, a lot of great information. And I think the one thing that just kept coming back up in my mind over and over was that uh, for sure, monitoring athletes is important. It's important to have those benchmarks to understand if our training is working and moving forward. But I think something that's often overlooked with that, and we chatted a little bit about it on today's episode, is just the need for ways to quantify training so that it's everyone understands it across different programs. Um, in human sport, like that's something that they have going for them that really helps them to innovate. If you have a track and field sprinter and you know you talk about maybe doing like 30 meter, 30 meter accelerations or you know 100 meter uh, sprints, I think everyone knows exactly what that is. Versus I think the challenge in our world is that everyone thinks about a flat workout differently or everyone thinks about a jump school differently. And if you don't have ways to quantify it so that everyone's on the same page and viewing that workout the exact same, then if you start talking to your friends about the workout you just did, I think a lot gets uh, lost in communication or lost in translation. So it's, uh, I think there's a lot of benefit to collecting data for that reason as well. Yeah, I thought that was such a great point as well as, you know, when Chris talked about the way that, you know, data can complement, um, you know, horsemanship and feeling and and help elevate it and, and make it stronger rather than, you know, coming in and trying to replace it, which I think is a common misconception when we talk about um, these types of tools and, and tracking data um, and, and doing data analysis. So I really hope that, um, you know, s- somebody listened to this today and um, decided to maybe give give some exercise testing and some data tracking a try just to see if they can learn more about, you know, their, their horse's fitness and maybe, um, you know, change the way that they're managing them for the better um, because they have more information. With that, uh, that's the end of our episode today. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, you can find the links to today's guest, Dr. Chris Navas, and our show notes at www.sporthorsepodcast.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Sport Horse Series. Also, of course, if you're not already following the podcast on whatever app you're listening, using to listen today, be sure to do that. Um, and you can have all 20 plus shows of the horse radio network with you, wherever you go with our free app for iPhone and Android, just go to the app store and search horse radio network. And here's to keeping your sport horse happy and healthy. <laughs>